Welcome to our class podcast for American Writers One, beginnings to 1865. I'm Dr. Carrie Tippin, your instructor and host. Today we're discussing some appeals for women's rights from the early national period. Uh, so let's meet the rest of the panel. Uh, let's start with Dom, our, our newest friend to join us. Uh, tell us your name, major, and your favorite animal at the zoo. Hi, my name's Dom. I'm an early education, like pre-K through uh, fifth grade major. And uh, my favorite zoo animal, I've always loved snakes, which yeah. is weird, I guess, because snakes are kind of scary. They are. <laughs> Unpopular opinion, I think, maybe. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> cool. All right, Hannah, say hi. All right. Hi, I'm Hannah, an English major. My favorite zoo animal would have to either be the tiger, which I can watch for hours at the Pittsburgh Zoo, or the penguin, which again, I can watch them for hours at the Pittsburgh Zoo. That is a good one. Those are both good ones. Those are all good ones. Uh, I'm Carrie. Sorry, Dr. Tippin. I do this every time. I'm Dr. Tippin. Um, I'm an English major. And my favorite zoo animal, I do enjoy the gorillas at the Pittsburgh Zoo, um, but like the babies, the babies of anything, anything that has a baby in it, you got my eyeballs for as long as we can stand there. Well, welcome. Good to meet you. Glad you're here. <laughs> Let's start with a quick summary of our major texts. Uh, so, Dom, I'm going to ask you to summarize the letters between John and Abigail Adams. Sure. So, um, the first letter is from Abigail Adams to her husband, John, and she's talking about uh, women's rights and how she doesn't want, um, during the Continental Congress, for women's rights to be kind of swept under the rug. She wants them to bring it up and Included in the uh, in the Declaration of Independence that they were writing. Um, do you want me to read some like a quote that I found really interesting? Ooh, from good, yeah, do it. So on page uh, five fifty four, Abigail writes to her husband. And it says, "Unlimited power into the hands of the husbands. All men would be tyrants if they could." Which um, not only is she asking for rights for the women to have more of a say in society, but that's also interesting because what they were trying to get away from was a tyrant in Great Britain. So it's kind of like a, like a history lesson as well that um, like, she's really worried about if all the powers with the men and nothing's actually going to change in the, in the, in the colonies. Um, yes. What a brilliant word choice. Like that is not an accident. She does not accidentally pick tyrant. No, that absolutely not. That's a genius word. Okay, cool. Um, she also, even in the first letter, she said, women don't feel like friends to their husbands. They, they feel like men are kind of their masters. And um, she kind of wants, she, so she's, she's advocating for women's rights. And she really wants that to be a topic of discussion in the uh, Continental Congress. Great. While John Adams writes back and he, um, he just resists to give up his masculinity. And he, uh, he, he talks about, he, he groups women with different like tribes that are like what's the quote it says your letter was the first intimation that another tribe more numerous and powerful than all the rest were grown discontented so he's kind of grouping them with african-american slaves or native americans who were not happy in the current society in the current colonies and he's grouping women with them which i found interesting yeah grouping them and then saying like ha ha dismissing all of them at once yeah yeah, yeah. thanks 
Cool. Thank you. That was really good. Um, do we, Hannah, do you have any questions about these letters or Dominique clarifying questions at the moment we can answer? No, yeah, they're no. pretty straightforward. I mean, the language is nice and easy to read. The sentences are nice and clean. That's always a, a good surprise in early American literature. <laughs> okay, Hannah, tell us about this, this pamphlet or what, however you would describe it from Judith Sargent Murray. Uh, so Murray's essay starts with a poem sort of describing, I guess, just womanhood and how it's been suppressed by men yeah um, before she gets into what like the question she's trying to answer which is and where in nature does a woman um like i guess bow down to men i guess is what she's really trying to say and what yeah. point are women subservient where are they lesser than and she really gets into saying it's not natural. Yes. Um, she actually points out that in a lot of ways, uh, when women are being seen as less than because they have like large imaginations or they're kind of judgmental or whatever in this <laughs> society that she's living in, she says that in a more educated mind, this is like what women are going through are exactly what an educated mind needs. Yes. And that had the women had the opportunity to be educated, they wouldn't be so idle. They wouldn't be imagining things. They wouldn't be judgmental towards I know she mentions fashion a lot, which I guess <laughs> is, you know, like that's a womenly thing, I guess. Um, yeah. Fashion and reading novels. Yes. Right? Like they wouldn't read these stupid books that are fictional um, if they had actual education, which reminds me of a thing we tried to talk about last week about how the novel is just not a very popular, not a literary genre in this moment. Yeah, so I'd say the point of the essay is basically to say everything you bash against women is your own fault. Boom. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's about it. And the, and the solution is education, right? It, it, with more education, everything that is maybe naturally or what appears to be naturally inferior would become equal, right, through education. Yes, very good. Yeah, a good line would be our souls are by nature equal to yours. The same breath of God animates, enlivens, and invigorates us. Yeah, good, 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 good. Any questions about it that you want to clarify? Any unusual phrases or words you didn't understand? Or why all that talk about fashion and novels? Nah. Okay, cool. Me neither. I think, again, pretty clear. We're going to read another one, and I get them confused every time. So later in the semester, we read a, a similar essay from another woman who has three names. No, Margaret Fuller. <laughs> Margaret Fuller, a woman in the 19th century. And it is very similar, making very similar arguments, um, you know, but, but a century divided. So I think it would be really interesting to see how things change when she comes up next. Okay, cool. 
Uh, so your questions today, let's kind of start with those letters uh, between the Adamses. So Dom, talk about what you wanted to discuss today. Yeah, so my question was about, I believe the quote was on, uh, let me check, page 554, and Adam says, we know better than to repeal our masculine systems. Um, I think that's significant because his wife is asking for rights and he won't even, he won't even go up his masculinity to her, which is, it just shows how far off we, they were back then with women's rights and equality, especially in a time when they were asking for equality, they weren't really going to give it to everybody, just certain people. Yeah. Um, let me, I had a note about it. Um, where is it? He, um, it's, he, he's just almost using the declaration to give himself more power. I feel like, like he doesn't want power for all the people. It's more so just for himself and the rest of the founding fathers who were there. They were the ones who were going to have the power, not the people, not, or I shouldn't say not the people, but not certain groups of people. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting what he's basically saying there is like, we, we don't like, why would I ever like make a decision that would harm me or like a decision yeah. that would give me less power? Like it doesn't quite compute. Uh, and I think it is a joke. I think he is sort of sarcastically overstating perhaps like maybe it's hyperbole to say it this particular way. Uh, but the next line, I wonder if you had thoughts about this. Uh, you know, they're a little more than theory. We dare not exert our power in its full latitude. Uh, and then he goes, blah, 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 because like women have the real power. Uh, he describes it as the despotism of the petticoat, uh, which reminds me always of the, my big fat Greek wedding where he's like, man is the head of the household, but woman is the neck. And I think that's basically what he's saying here in his joke is that like, sure, uh, but like you're, you're actually already in charge. Um, what's sort of your reaction to that argument, Dom or Hannah, either one? To this argument that women already have power. It's, it's interesting that he feel if that he feels that way because he doesn't like, he never truly comes out any of his letters and says that he's gonna, he's gonna fight for women's rights and women's equality that they're asking for in the Continental Congress. He never like truly comes out and says that. I think he's just trying to tell her that she already has power to kind of put her at ease. Right. Sure. Sure. And then like, but, but back to kind of her argument, like she says before, you know, you've, we've, we've counted on men to be kind. We've counted on um, like good men. So well, let me see if I can find the line that I'm thinking of. Um, uh, let's see. Why then not put it out of the power of the vicious? Oh yeah, here it is. Men of sense in all ages abhor these customs, which treat us only as the vassals or the servants of your sex. Um, so like men of sense have always hated this and they have sort of done what they could in like very small personal ways. But she says, put it in the law. Like, it's nice of you to be my friend. It's really cool of you to respect me as a person, but put it in the law, <laughs> I mean, in sort of what she's saying. And he's really not getting that, right? He's really saying like, oh, you, like, you control me. Uh, we have a relationship. Like, we can be, uh, I will listen to you. But that's, that's really not what she's asking for, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. Hannah, what do you think about that? Why, why does he respond this way is Dom's question. Um, I've read a lot of, yes, feminist philosophy. Sure. Um, and the big thing with a lot of it, with men at least, tends to be, but I'm nice to men. Yeah. And that's kind of, I feel like he's saying, but we are nice to women. However, we are still superior. Sure. <laughs> Reading this as a 21st century young woman, kind of difficult because I'm like, everything that I know about Adams, I'll say I forgot it was replaced by Hamilton, which is sad. <laughs> um, but, not unusual, Hannah. I think that's not an unusual response. <laughs> um, but I do know that as far as he went, he's like, that's like top tier feminism as far as men went back then. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Where it was basically just, I'm not going to write into law, you have rights, but I'll be nice to you as a husband. Yeah, that's not a, that's not nothing. Uh, later, I will, I don't know if I've introduced it yet already, but this idea of patriarchal bargaining, uh, which is sort of like accepting certain parts of the oppressive system so that you can sort of get power in some other way. And I think that may be, maybe a little bit of what's happening here, right? It's like, I'm giving you this part uh, because it doesn't cost me very much. And then you can sort of get some power in some other way, right? Yeah, I agree. It is a little bit hard to to listen to, especially just because of how clearly, like, his response is full of jokes. Like, joke, 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 joke. Um, line after line is like, I like, literally, I can't help but laugh, he says. <laughs> like, I'm laughing at you, and then here I have all these other jokes. And there, as, as Don pointed out, like, not really great jokes, because he's like, oh, you all those African-Americans, all those uh, Native Americans, uh, you're just like them, wanting rights? <laughs> and he's sort of making it into to kind of a joke. And it's, it's troubling to read. One of the questions that I like to ask about these is an idea of a public audience for a private letter. So I think, remember how we talked about Franklin sort of knowing he's gonna be famous? Um, before he's famous done, like before he's done being <laughs> important, he already knows that he has a sense of like needing to protect his reputation. I wonder if you think these two writers, if there's any evidence that maybe they thought these letters would outlast the moment. Do they seem to be, and, and let's maybe add in the third letter that we haven't talked about. The third letter from, uh, from Adams is talking about like the day of the declaration, July 2nd, the second day of July will be our anniversary festival. Uh, it turns out to be the fourth, but he's, uh, there's a sense of maybe this is a letter he's going to save forever. And he wants to really record what he's thinking about on July the 2nd. What do you think about the other two letters? Do they have that same feeling? I think the one about July the 2nd, I yeah. think he's talking about how great the day is and how great the declaration is to be celebrated. And yeah. I also think it's interesting that he doesn't mention women's rights in that one because he kind of yeah. wants, he probably wants that one to go public and be like, you know, famous one day. 
he doesn't want to see that there was a struggle for equality for women in that one. That's a good, that's a good point, right? The other things that he does talk about are things like making treaties and passing laws. And like, if we had done this earlier, we could have conquered Canada too. <laughs> and yeah. Canada part of the US. Uh, so he's really thinking in those great big questions. And you're right, Dom, he's not mentioning this at all. Uh, okay, so that one definitely seems to you like a public letter. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Hannah, what do you think? Um, I think Abigail Adams seems more of a private, just like plea to her husband. Uh-huh. I don't think she really uh, conceived of hers ever being a public piece of okay. history. Um, and I really don't think that his response to that letter seems like it was addressing the public at all. Oh, um, okay. But I don't know if, like, there's nothing that I, can I could really say whether or not he expected it to ever be a public piece of history. Mm-hmm. Um, or if he was just addressing his wife. It's hard to know. Yeah. 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 I think it might make things a little different though. Like, so, so just kind of assuming let's put on the believers sunglasses or whatever. <laughs> like let's assume they're meant to be read later or by other people. Right. Because often letters would be uh, shared, right. They would be like entertainment for the family to read the last letter that just came in from whoever, uh, or you would take your letters over to the neighbor's house and share family news that way, like by sharing these letters. So it's not uncommon for normal people even to write a letter knowing that it's gonna be read by more people than just the addressee. Uh, but like, let's assume you know that your husband is working on like the declaration and he's probably going to be saving all of these letters and he's probably going to be donating to them to the university archive or whatever. Like they're going to be saved. Maybe you just put out your plant, your flag, not for today, but like, I want it known that this is where I was. Is there anything about that that's convincing Hannah? Does that, does that argument convince you in any way? Or nah? You can say nah. I can see that, yeah. Yeah. Like, this is not the first time they've talked about it. Can you imagine that a person like Adams and a person like Abigail haven't talked about this before? They talked about it, right? <laughs> and so kind of putting it down in this letter after talking about how beautiful the weather is, uh, I think is a pretty solid like flag planting moment. Like this is what I wanted to say. I don't know, Dom, what do you think about it? No, that's definitely because you, I, you know, they've definitely talked about it behind closed doors before. Now they write yeah. letters to each other. It's yeah, they've definitely talked about it. So this is just like to go into a historical context to see where they stood. Yeah. Yeah. Let the lines be drawn for the history books that I was on this side. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, maybe he's thinking the same thing or not when he replies. I mean, if I were him, I'm not sure that's the reply I would want edged in stone. Um, but I'm, I don't know. <laughs> that's a hard one to say. We're definitely just guessing here for sure. Okay, Hannah, your question was kind of about like the, the whole movement of women's rights and maybe what they take from these two texts. So what do you think about that? Is there something from Murray that you read that you thought like is still around or still shaping how things go or that had some sort of effect on the future? I think so. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, just how she was demanding an education for women. And, I mean, how long did that take? There's still, I mean, in America, that's not so much a problem, but there are still yeah. countries where women don't have their own, like, they're not getting an education. Um, and then, I don't know, there were just, like, little things, I guess. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I have um, a few quotes. Um, highlighted here. Mm -hmm. um, just, I don't know, they're not like super important quotes. I have the one where our souls are by nature equal to, to yes. yours. Um, yeah. There's just like, through the centuries, how we've seen the very little movement women have gotten. Mm -hmm. Say we've come a really long way, you know, from 200 years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Um, the 1970s were a huge feminist. Yeah, a huge like it was a decade full of huge feminist movement. Actually, I watched a documentary on Netflix about feminists in the 70s. Excellent. Um, recommend it for us when we get to the end. I will. The title when you have a minute. <laughs> uh, and just to see how far it's come. Yeah. How far it still needs to come. Yeah. I also noticed, like, with the Abigail Adams letter here, uh, and she's, like, asking her husband to give her her rights. Yeah. And she did say that if they didn't give women their rights, there would be a, like, a female rebellion. Yeah. <laughs> but at that point, she was, like, still asking permission to have rights. Mm -hmm. And then now I feel women are kind of just saying, hey, we have rights and we're going to take them. Sure, sure. As far as we've come. And there's still this struggle. I don't know. It's just a lot to think about. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking about how one of the, like, basic arguments that she's making is about, like, nature being naturally equal. Uh, and I think what she's saying there is, like, biologically even, right? She's making the argument that biologically, uh, you know, but she's also saying like spiritually, so kind of similarly, like biologically, spiritually, same level of ability, same potential for development, same, like everything about us is the same. And she's saying what's different about us is how we are treated socially. So like she's a social constructionist. Yeah. <laughs> I think she's sort of preceding the deconstructionist that we've been thinking about uh, all semester long, right? She's sort of looking at a binary and saying, this doesn't have to be this way. This is not an inevitability, uh, but instead we can trace it to a source. Uh, and she says that very specifically, right? We can look at all of these differences and we can find that the place where they are different is in education, right? Um, so give me the same opportunities, give me the same information, and I will be just as strong as you, right? Yeah. And that to me sounds like an argument that we're still having, right? Or that we still have to, or that we're continuing to build on. 
that, that that's a kind of a framework that that makes a um, a framework that makes a floor. It's the basis <laughs> of a lot of our uh, arguments still today. Yeah. Uh, Dom, do you have an opinion on this or, or some insight on maybe how things have changed or things that you saw in Murray's essay that you think are kind of still around with us? Yeah, just like um, I like the quote. She says, how many reputations in the fertile brain of a female have been utterly despoiled? I like that one a lot because it's like talking about like creativity and imagination, letting like females have like their own say on things and using like their own imagination. And it's like yeah. just just because they're a female, it's been like downplayed or and spoiled because men don't really think that women have like the same capabilities as men. Totally. And I, I think that's definitely still around today. Like there's definitely still people who think women aren't as smart or as uh, like on the level of men, which is, yeah, it's, it's disgusting at this point, but like it's definitely still around. Yeah, I'm trying to remember if this is the one where she says something like, do you think we want to be doing these things? Like, we don't. <laughs> we would rather do something else if only we had something else to do. Um, maybe I'm not thinking of the right one. Maybe that's the other one that comes later. Uh, but I think it's really interesting too how her argument, remember how we talked about with uh, the sermon of Jonathan Edwards, how he's sort of saying like, these are the facts and then here's sort of the logical argument. I think she's kind of doing the same thing where she lays out, there are four categories of intellectual power. They're imagination, reason, memory, and judgment. We have all four of those. We would be better at them if we had education, but we have them, right? And so she's sort of saying like, if this is true, then you have to act on it, right? If these are the four powers, if we have them, if you agree with us that education makes them better, then you have no choice but to agree with my argument. Uh, which I think is kind of fun. Like she's really kind of playing with that. Do you have an idea about why it starts with a poem though? Why, if I can be honest, every time I come to this, I flip past the poem. I don't even read it. <laughs> I skip it. <laughs> I go straight to the prose. But what do you think? Why start with a poem? This could definitely be a guess, like a guess. I, I don't expect you to know or have like the one right answer. I, I don't, maybe the reader is more likely to, it's more interesting to read a poem than just go straight into, yeah. straight into a summary or whatever. Yeah. Remember too, that the height of literary expression at this moment is poetry. So height of literary expression and then the argument what might that do, right, to start your argument by showing that you have the height of literary expression? Hannah, do you have an idea about that? I think, I mean, her argument in the essay itself was about how we're equal. Yeah. And how women deserve an education. Yeah. And to prove that, like, it's almost like she could prove it with the poem. Yes. It was like, I can write poetry too. Not only can she write poetry, but she can reference uh, Isaac Newton in her poetry. Yeah. And she can reference what else? Like she, uh, I can't, I don't really, I didn't really highlight any other allusions, but she's like, watch me do this argument twice. Watch me make it in a poem and then watch me make it in an essay using your, your like standards for reason. Like stand back and watch. Uh, it's very impressive, right? Maybe. 
maybe it's kind of an impressive show. Uh, but it's also, think about the, the place it's being published. So it comes out in um, the Massachusetts Magazine. And I don't remember if we've talked about this yet, but like, yes, we did. Uh, when we read that article from Paul Starr, right? The periodical press was booming, right? The people had newspapers and magazines and the post office was carrying them for free. And it was this hugely important part of social life. Um, and so she's putting her argument right there in that magazine which I think would have a combination of uh, art, like literary art and argument. So maybe it's a part of fitting into the genre too, of the thing that she's writing in. I don't know, do you have any other ideas about that? About well, the poem? I did read um, like just that paragraph or two they have before yeah. the essay. Um, like other subscribers of this poem included uh, George and Martha Washington, John Adams, John Hancock, like, these, oh, yeah, these very, um, prominent figures in early American history. Yeah. Why that? So that's interesting, right? So she puts it in the magazine knowing who's going to read it. That's smart. Is it smart? <laughs> it's kind of smart. So Abigail writes to John because that's her person and he can go straight to the thing and do the thing. Uh, and she doesn't maybe have, um, you know, a husband who's a framer of the constitution, but she does have their ear in some other way, right? She has them as readers of this magazine. So she gets in front of them in the way that she can. Uh, and it turns out to be by publishing in this magazine. That's pretty smart, right? Um, I'm gonna move to uh, what I call, or what lots of people call the rhetorical triangle, uh, which is sort of the idea that you have your speaker, right, who you are as a person, who you wanna be talking to, and what you wanna be talking about. Those are kind of the three points of the triangle. And all of those are kind of shaped by what it is that you want to happen. So if you want women to have equality, think about who you are as a speaker. Who, who are you, right? What do you have? What do you know? What are your expertises? And who can you talk to? Who is your audience going to be? And then that's going to shape a little bit what you decide to write about and how you actually make your argument. Uh, so it's interesting that we have the same audience, right? The sort of John Adams, Washington. Who else did you say, Hannah? Washington and John, uh, and John Adams. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so she wants to talk to John Adams as her audience. She's got to go through this magazine instead. And that shapes some stuff as well. I don't know, do you have a reaction to this idea of like speaker audience subject and how they influence each other? Is that something that you think about often? I don't know. I, I think Abigail Adams was much more comfortable writing to her own husband about all this than she would anybody else. She she could definitely be a little bit stronger in her opinions to her husband. Yes, that makes sense. Yeah, so she can write a little essay or a little letter to her husband and say, like, men are tyrants. That's exactly what they would do by nature. That's who they are. Whereas uh, Murray is writing to lots of people in public. And so she has to take several more pages. <laughs> And she has to like really lay out the argument in that sort of reasonable way. Do you notice any other differences, Dom? Um, I mean, 
like the language Abigail uses, just writing to her husband, keeping it private. I think if she would have put, I think if she would have said something like men are tyrants in a newspaper, ah, at the time, yeah. then that would be, she'd probably get punished for that in some sort yeah. of, probably wouldn't be, she wouldn't be able to say that in the newspaper. She wouldn't be able to say that publicly. So yeah. she, she's allowed to use very strong opinions when it's private, just to her husband, because they probably already talked about this. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Hannah, can you think of any other ways that Murray is sort of, you know, that she's couching or she's, how is she negotiating with making this opinion public? She always down a lot more facts than Adams did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and Adams, I think it was also just like she's writing to one person, one person she's familiar with and he's familiar with her. So she's able to use a language that the two of them are comfortable with. And here she has to, she has to present herself as um, the proper ed educated uh, woman. That ethos. Yeah. Ethos, meaning expertise, right? She has to demonstrate her authority. Keep yeah. going. <laughs> um, in a way that Adams obviously didn't have to because she was only writing to her husband. Yeah. Um, and when you're writing or just even speaking with someone you're more comfortable with, um, like language I would use with my best friends isn't the kind of language I would use when I'm presenting a topic in front of a class. Yeah. So I think that's sort of the way this was going. This is her presenting yeah. the facts, what she knows, um, and saying, hey, like, this is a problem. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Adams was saying, hey, give us rights or we'll fight you <laughs> to her husband. And it's, yeah. it's like, you you can be more laid back with your husband no matter when it is i guess yeah 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 and i wonder if her hyperbole invited his hyperbole in some way right i although i wouldn't uh undercut that threat um we didn't i didn't assign it i have assigned it in the past uh but within these orange pages there's a, a set of poems uh from an author named hannah griffiths and she's talking about how women are actually pretty important to the revolutionary experience, uh, particularly as consumers of goods, um, that their boycotts were really pretty valuable, right? So when we're talking about sugar and tea um, and you know those kinds of taxation acts, it was women's creativity and women's uh, boycotts that made those successful, right? That they found other ways to do, to make tea that didn't require English tea. And they found ways to like be satisfied without sugar um, or imported sugar. And so women like had a little bit of participation in the revolution that it's not that far to say, you know, we could, we could also revolt. Um, it might be harder, <laughs> but I don't think it's completely out of the question. Can you imagine what that revolt would look like if she kind of had followed through on her threat? What would it sort of look like for women to say, you know, we won't, we will rebel. We won't abide by laws that don't include us. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> then what, uh, we see with the American Revolution, you know, now. I keep thinking to um, 
it's different points in history when women did sort of have their own little rebellions. Yeah. Uh, like when we were fighting for the right to vote, women would dress up as men, go vote, and then, like, reveal themselves as women. Or um, the 50s, there were very sly things a lot of women did then, especially because, like, that was right after World War II and all the women were working while the men were overseas fighting. Uh, and then again, the 70s was a huge thing there, too, where women were kind of just, like, taking their own bodies and just, it's my body. Um, yeah. I do what I want with it. So just to think what they would have done in 1790. Yeah. Could have been done then. It is a little hard to imagine, right? Uh, it's hard to imagine them like, so the revolution that they've been watching was a military conflict, right? With militias meeting other armed parties. That's hard to imagine on any scale. Uh, that that would be a sort of non-consent to, you know, being unrepresented. Uh, but the, like the things that were familiar to them were boycotts, were sort of some public, like marching seems hard to imagine as well. Um, but maybe it would be like a domestic rebellion. I don't know. Dom, do you have a thought about that? Yeah, I, there's, it's, it's hard to imagine back then what women would rebel against or not against but like how they would rebel yeah maybe, yeah maybe just boycotts or something that they were capable of doing at the time i don't know yeah i could see um kind of just like refusal to do their like domestic chores or whatever like if oh yeah a strike I just won't feed you mm-hmm. um you know i won't sleep with you you know i mean I think this is what Adams means by despotism of the petticoat, though, that those are very small, very private, and they don't have the scope. So think again about that rhetorical triangle. If you're not represented as a citizen, then you don't have an audience. You just don't have an audience. And if you don't have an audience, you don't have a rhetorical triangle. You have a rhetorical line. I don't know, you don't have that. You don't have rhetoric if you don't have an audience, perhaps. So uh, yeah, I think that's a really interesting set of questions to kind of imagine. But let's think maybe about Murray as maybe not giving consent to be governed, perhaps. So like taking it to the, the papers taking it that way, getting an, like demanding an audience, maybe not a, not directly appealing to the governing body, but like getting into their ears anyway, might be one of those rebellions. I don't know. Do you think there's anything rebellious about writing this essay for Murray? Possibly. I know that in the paragraph uh, before the essay, it mentioned that she was writing it in um, response to the French philosopher Rousseau. Yeah. Who, <laughs> I've read Rousseau, and uh, the first time I read him, I was like, yeah, yeah, this is really good. And then he was like, but women are subservient to men. And I, like, threw the thing off. <laughs> yeah. I was so mad. Like, can I not have one philosopher that I can agree with? <laughs> 
Um, and I feel like maybe she was going around the same way. She's like, yes, education, that's a great thing. And then he said, but not for women. And then just is in the fire. Mm-hmm. And she was mm-hmm. like, this is what I think about that. And people were probably reading Rousseau. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So then this is a response to that, saying that's not right. And then you have this, um, I guess, a dictonomy in your head, right? Yeah. What Rousseau says, this is what Murray says. Murray is an American at this point. And sure, Rousseau is French, so it's not like you're fighting against him exactly. He's an ally, sure. ally. Yeah. Um, But I think there's something there to be said about her being an American woman. And would you rather listen to the American woman or the French man? when you yourself are living in this time. That's a really interesting point. I mean, and remember Star saying like in that sort of pre-revolutionary era, everything had to pass through that European English lens before it got here, literally being printed there before being brought here. Uh, And this is a a change on that, right? It is being printed here. And remember Crevacour from Monday really saying like, we don't need the Europeans anymore right? We don't need what they have to say anymore. We are more perfect than they are. Like, we have finished the work they started. So I think there's something compelling about that, about, like, maybe I'm a woman speaking, but I'm an American speaking, and there might be something about that that people would find more convincing just by nature of its being local uh, and contrary to a European influence. Yeah, that's really interesting, Hannah. Thank you for bringing that idea up. I like that. Uh, we're nearing the end of our time. So is there anything left that you want to talk about that I haven't covered? I have three more slides that we're literally never going to talk about. So like you pick <laughs> what's left. Uh, maybe, oh, I'll ask this one question. I'll ask one question and then we'll kind of finish up with it. Uh, what would have happened if at this, remember this phrase, constitutive moment, at this like moment of decision, if Adams had walked into the convention and said, you know what, I wanna put women in these laws. I wanna say uh, men and women are created equal. I wanna say, um, you know, that we need protections for married women. We need to like make that in the part of the, the constitution that like women have their own properties, right? He could have done it, right? He could have done it. Uh, what would have happened if, if he had? What would have happened if people read Murray's argument and were like, oh, hell yeah, we definitely got to provide for women's education, right? What would have happened? There would be, yes. be another divide in the country. I mean, oh. there's going to be supporters of it. And then there's definitely, I mean, if Adams walked into the Continental Congress and said that, I'm sure there would be a couple people that agreed with him, but mm. majority probably wouldn't have. And it probably would have caused more problems. So I think... I think maybe they just wanted to focus on the one topic, like the one dividing issue at hand, and then worry about the next one after they're completely done with the first one. John, that makes total sense to me, right? Is that it would have further, I mean, as a hill to die on, he would have, he would have been largely alone on that hill, (laughs) right? Uh, And slowed down the process so that it's not July 2nd that the declaration comes out. It's, you know, September, Mm. never, (laughs) right? Yeah. Hannah, do you have a thought about that? No, I think Dom's right there. Yeah. 
Yeah, what about the, the education part of it? What if Murray's uh, essay, so we know that Chatham, our, our home university, is a women's college from its founding in the 1860s. Uh, but what if in 1790, everybody was like, oh, hell yeah, college for women. Any idea how that might have been different? That possibly could have gone over better. Yeah. Um, than giving women like the same rights as men but yeah. uh i also think that uh the point of keeping women subservient was keeping them away from an education as soon as you start to educate someone they realize what their worth is yeah uh so i think there would have been a lot of people against that Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I'm not really even sure that what she's asking for is higher education. I think a lot of what she's asking for is sort of like lower, lower levels of, of uh, education, right? Um, yeah, I mean, so, so as we know, the, you know, the colonies and the early American colonies, especially in New England, were invested in women's literacy. Uh, but that's not quite the same as education. So, yeah, I wonder if it could have sped things up, right? Could have sped up the vote, could have sped up, uh, you know, women's professions, could have sped up a couple of other kinds of things that could have happened. Um, and maybe, and I think your point is right, Hannah, too, like a little softer ask, it's a little easier ask than maybe like put me in the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution uh, to say like, give me an elementary education, <laughs> right? And that would... Uh, maybe an easier ask. Not sure. Okay, great. Well, it's so been uh, been so nice to talk to you. Uh, thank you for your your stuff. Do you have any recommended media things that you think people should listen to or watch on the subject? Uh, yes. So I mentioned earlier. Um, I watched a documentary on Netflix called um, "Feminists: What Were They Thinking." <laughs> It's about feminists in the 70s, and they brought them back and interviewed them now. There are a few women, like Jane Fonda, and um, I'm completely blanking on her name. The three women that were in 9 to 5, Jane Fonda, oh, <laughs> and the other women. Oh, no, I can't. This is embarrassing. No, I don't know. <laughs> I can't think of her name, but it's Jane Fonda and not Dolly Parton, but the other women. They're both interviewed in it. Um, I thought it was really interesting, especially because what they were talking about in this particular documentary that they were fighting for in the 70s is something we're actually, uh, the ERA, something we're literally yeah. fighting for right now. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But I would also recommend uh, uh, something completely different and kind of off the wall is... Um, <laughs> The French um, declaration, the, their declaration of independence was uh, the declaration um, of the rights of uh, men and citizens. And um, Olympe D is a French name, I can't remember it. But during the same time, it's Olympe D gouges. And I can definitely put it in um, on the class discussion if anyone's cool. interested. It in it called the Declaration of the Rights of Women in the Female Citizen. Oh, well, you know, Friday is going to be our big citizen discussion, yeah. so that would be really interesting. From the French Revolution, which came about yeah. uh, because of the American Revolution, but it's yeah. oh, that was an interesting read too. Cool, yeah, definitely share that with us later. Dom, you got anything? 
Uh, not really. Yeah. I mean, I know the Adams uh, series. It's about the series on HBO. Uh, That's what I was gonna say. But I don't, I don't know how much it really talks about women's rights in it. It's more yeah. just about the, just about becoming a free nation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't remember too much from it. That was middle school. I used to watch that. Mm, okay, I can recommend the presidential podcast from the Washington Post. It was like. 2016 election so it's like covering all the presidents up to the most recent election um but the second episode is about john adams obviously and it does cover a little bit of the john adams abigail adams conversation and some of their relationship so that might be interesting listening if you want to um that podcast definitely got better as it went on the first couple of episodes are are not greatly produced (laughs) but i really enjoyed it and it was a it was a good listen i learned Uh, a lot about presidents that I had no idea about. Cool. Well, this has been a fun conversation. Thank you both for your participation and we will talk to you soon. Mm -hmm.